Welcome to the Church Safety and Security Broadcast with the Church Safety Guys, sponsored by Checker. Background screens for your faith or volunteer organization. The Church Safety Guys is a nonprofit organization. Our mission is to inspire, influence, and impact church safety and security teams. We are protectors, guardians, ambassadors, and shepherds. We are about all things church safety and security, which starts with a ministry mindset and a servant's heart. Join us for the next hour as the Church Safety Guys unpack safety, security, leadership, and ministry operations with your hosts, James McGarvey and Mike Scully. This broadcast is also available on social media, YouTube, your favorite podcast platforms, and on the all-new Church Security app. Well, hello. Welcome to the Church Safety and Security broadcast with the Church Safety Guys. I am your host, James, and I am joined at this time by my co-host, Mike Scully. At this time, where am I going? <laughs> well, you know, with our with our past history of tech issues, it's, it's yeah. one of those things where I don't know if one of us is going to disappear or you've, you've had more of them than I have lately. Lately? I don't know what it is. It's the bugs, know. the gremlins so, in the machine. Somebody in your neighborhood is using too much bandwidth. <laughs> I guess so. Now there's 3,000 in the neighborhood, so... <laughs> Yeah, that'll that'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, welcome. Thanks for thanks for hanging out with us tonight. And uh, we um, we're going to cover we're going to talk about situational awareness. And uh, it's a it's a great topic. It's a topic that's always always relevant for sure. Uh, but if this is your first time joining us, uh, welcome and feel free to reach out. Uh, to us through our website, which is churchsafetyguys.com. And uh, if you're listening at a later time, if you're listening on YouTube or Spotify or iHeartMedia, feel free to to like and uh, give us a give us a five star rating. We we appreciate that, especially with uh, if you're using Apple or um, the podcast platform with Apple. It's always helpful if you go in and you and you give us a rating, uh, send us a review. Uh, what happens is Apple, a lot of times, if if a podcast doesn't get enough reviews, they'll actually pull it. So we want to make sure that we stay there and and uh, you guys you guys enjoy listening to us, those of you that do. So we appreciate your support from that. And uh, it's been a I will say it's it's been an interesting <laughs> week. <laughs> it sounds like we both have had crazy experiences. So I know you yep. wanted to you wanted to share share with yours what happened with you. Yep. And it ties into situational awareness. <laughs> it certainly <laughs> so. does. I mean, so I'm I'm getting up this morning and uh I had a uh a series of notifications and and uh uh, messages related to a church that was undergoing having an escalating issue. A person who was previously asked no longer to uh, come to any of the events or, or services yep. or things like that due to previous uh, bad behavior kind of escalating beyond a point, beyond refusal of care, refusal of help, refu uh, many different things, long story short, um, went uh, escalated to threatening tone. Uh, to an email and then proceeding to 
um, not very uh, deliberate threats, but they were directed, uh, much more directed than prior. So was it was not something so actionable as in I'm coming here now with this and or I'm going to do that. Um, it was definitely a consequential. Everyone will see um, almost uh, what you've seen textbook Homeland Security talking about after uh, spree killers and things like that, where sure. um, you've seen situations like that. Well, how come nobody said anything? Well, this was the time to say something. And that uh, that certainly kind of happened. Well, this team that I have uh, coached in the past, you could see in the messaging, you could see the rhetoric kind of ramp up and you could see kind of some of the anxiety. So I think that that right there was immediately kind of a red flag. I was like, okay, there's a challenge here because when you have a young team, when you haven't necessarily been through stress testing to the ultimate degree, when you're, when you're trying to train folks, but they haven't all been to that degree of training. And then you put them into this situation where there's, Hey, there's a known threat. There's a bolo out. There's a, um, Mm -hmm. a risk of this person showing up. This is the condition that it was. Well, then I get a message that, well, last night the building, the building and the sidewalks all the way around the building, and even some of the uh, uh, pillars and others were were all uh, graffitied and tagged. Wow! And message with na- names and other sorts of things on there, so it was very directed graffiti, not just vandal. Um, and so the, you could feel that ramping. And so my concern right off the bat was, you could see the anxiety level. You could you could feel it. It was palpable. But the concern sure. was that because of the ratcheting up of news and new information coming in rapidly, the concern I had was that you're going to have a young team that is immediately going to be all tense because they're going to jump straight to kind of condition red and, and, and prematurely jump straight to defending instead of just kind of a delay. So I I walked them back through. I said, you know what? Okay. First I jumped in the car and I drove down there. And uh, ultimately beyond that was saying, okay, guys, we're beyond the deter stage because he's no longer deterred. Okay. We're at the, you're, we're now at the detect stage. We have to detect if he comes on the property. We're, right. we're, we're told we're going to deny him entry into the building or threshold. If we have to deny him and that escalates, then, then that, that takes it to that next level. But we're not going to move to that defensive unless there's a direct threat. Okay. Right. And so really kind of, it it was an opportunity for teaching under, under the pressure, but the, uh, and, and praise God he didn't show and, and it'll end up being the authorities that'll, uh, kind of chase this down. But I think in general is the, uh, just the nature of always needing to prepare, always planning. And at the end of the day, what I think the big lesson might've learned is those concentric rings of, of protection we've talked about is parking lot duty became the most important and critical spot of the day because it was like, we don't even want them in the building. And so that was, that was kind of an extra intense day. You could see it. I talked with each of the the team members at that point and uh, just got a, a pulse for what were they feeling? What were they thinking? And you could, you could see it. The, the leaders, the leaders knew what was happening. They knew kind of what was there. You could see the people walk up and see the tags on the building and the, and the, and you could see them go from kind of uh, naive, maybe too much of the word, but from, from very kind of uh, laissez-faire to, oh my gosh, bubble burst. And this, something's real. 
And so not saying that somebody who tags a building is going to escalate even further. It's definitely attention seeking behavior, but uh, it was a teachable moment, let's just say in in many aspects and glad it didn't happen, but uh, nothing happened beyond the, uh, the, 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 the vandalism, if you will. And, you know, sometimes it's interesting. I love how you say it's a teachable, teachable experience because in reality, every, every situation is right. So you have to look at it and, and that's why I love, (laughs) I love doing this with you because you look at it like that. But at the same time, you know, when we, when we use each experience as a training experience, this is something that, 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 that team even though you're not really there, they still respected you enough to come back and help because they knew you were a resource and they, you know, defaulted to your leadership and your knowledge. And that team will never forget that. That will, as long as they serve, they'll remember how you played that out and how you were able to step in and calmly, uh, calmly address, you know, what needed to be addressed at the, at that time. And the value of saying, okay, you know, let's, let's take it down a notch. Let's, let's be calm. Let's do what we're supposed to do and understand that this is, this is how this is going to play out and we'll address it. And one of, one of the things that I talk about regularly with really with, with my folks and also the folks that are the door greeters and and everything, you know, that serve in hospitality and, and first impressions the interesting thing is when we have something going on, often I will take them a picture of the person that we're looking for, or I will advise them of the situation. And I've noticed that they, they do the same thing. All of a sudden they're like, Oh my goodness. You know, it's like, we're, we're, we're panicking here. And, uh, so oftentimes I'll, I'll actually hesitate. Like if we can handle the situation without telling them, you know, it's just another day. It's yep. let's, the, the difference is, you know, every day we should be alert every day. We should be aware. We should be paying attention to what's going on regardless. It's just in this situation, you have an individual that may be premeditating, you know, premeditating, uh, doing harm. But what about on a day-to-day basis when we don't know about all the people that are premeditating harm? And it's not, it's not funny, but you know, it, it makes me chuckle a little bit because that's, that's our culture. And that's how that's the the point in our culture that we've come to. So it has, I think. And, it, and at the end of the day, it's like, while some people certainly were aware and saw my presence and so forth at that point, and many came up to me and kind of talked about it and some joked about it as, Oh, you brought in the hired gun today. And, and, and I'm like, <laughs> you know what, honestly, that I I'd laugh about it because the others, and I had a lot of folks, the majority of folks, the second the team leader saw me pull in, he goes, you don't know how happy I am to see you. You just lowered my stress level. And and that's why I went. I didn't I didn't need to be there as yet another. I needed to be there to add, kind of reduce the stress, reduce the anxiety, help bring sure. them down from their overly amped level because they haven't played there before. They haven't been sure. to that. So it was more a matter of saying, guys, all right. And it's, it's that confidence that they exactly. know you know, you know, you know what you're doing and you know how to handle it. And it, it brings a calming, a calming effect. It's, 
it's very similar to when I, when I walk on my campus, you know, I I'm with the church plant, but when I go back and do different things and, and next week I will be, you know, directing our Easter service uh, operations and whatnot. And it's, it's the same thing. And people know that, okay. And, and sometimes they'll come up to me and say the same thing, but they know I'm there. And, and that gives them, um, that gives them the, the opportunity to, uh, to, to just be more calm. Right. So, well, it was, it was a big day for everybody to be situationally aware. So for sure is they, they were all heightened. They were all paying attention and really kind of catching out. So I know that's tonight's, but it really, it became really ingrained in a lot of the team really fast. Uh, sure. Some who had kind of like, they knew what they were getting into. They were, they were taught a little bit. They were oriented a little bit. They're serving in church, but now it, it made it real. There was now a real scenario. So it tied directly in and made it relevant. For sure. So today's broadcast, we actually, we have Gary Quisenberry with us and Gary's been on the the broadcast before and he, last time we had him on, he had actually just released the book Spotting Danger Before It Spots You. And so I just want to bring, uh, bring him back on. He graciously allowed us to take a look at his most recent book that he just released and I will bring him into the the broadcast so hey gary thanks for joining us so much tonight it's, hey, it's awesome to have hey, you back man. Welcome. Man, it's, good, it's good to be back i appreciate you guys having me absolutely for sure so you i think the last time that you were with us you had mentioned that you were rolling out a series of of the situational books one for each kind of generation um yeah and the the one with the the teens just came out and uh, you were gracious enough to send us a copy to kind of see before, and we had some stuff come up. So, but we've got you here now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, no, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, so for, for those of you that maybe didn't catch that last episode, can you just kind of go through your, uh, your background in history with, with situational awareness and in your career and, um, maybe just kind of go through that and, and what's prompted you to write a book on the topic. Okay. Well, uh, I'll start way back. I was, sure. uh, you know, I, I'm from uh, Carroll County, Virginia. I left here when I was uh, 17 years old and joined the army. So, you know, I served in the army for several years. I'm a veteran of operation desert storm. Uh, once I got out of the army and then in 1995, I started working for the, uh, I realized after I got out of the army, I had to get a real job because the bills don't pay themselves. And I found myself married and with a young child. So <laughs> uh, I started working for the government and I started off in the, uh, the federal Bureau of prisons That's and right. I was part of their special operations response team and things like that, like the hostage rescue unit within the prison system. And I would say more so than any job I've ever had, that job taught me about situational awareness more than anything else, more than any experience sure. I've ever had. But, you know, shortly after 9-11, well, the day after 9-11, actually, I started uh, uh, looking into the Federal Air Marshal Service, which I didn't even know existed, you know, at the time it did prior to 9-11. But after that, they really wanted to ramp things up. So like a lot of patriotic Americans, I was looking for another way to serve. 
I decided that kind of fitted what I wanted to do. And I, I jumped on board the Federal Air Marshal Service. I did that for 19 years and I just retired in uh, October of 2020. So, you know, I'm a little about a year and a half into my retirement, still writing the books and everything. <laughs> but, you know, as far as the books go, I teach a lot on the side. When I was in the Federal Air Marshal Service, I did a stint at our academy in Atlantic City and I was lead okay. firearms instructor there for a while. So I did a lot of firearms instruction to the side and I still do. But one of the things that I always harped on in my courses was situational awareness. And I've always told people that, you know, I don't care if you carry a gun or pepper spray or taser or you're a black belt in jujitsu without the situational awareness piece in place. That's all window dressing. You know, you're giving yourself a leg up. Sure. But you can't effectively fight what you don't see coming. So I started putting a course together for a group of instructors that was based on situational awareness. And the more I fleshed that course out, the more I started realizing that, you know, hey, this, this looks like a book. It looks like a table of contents. <laughs> so I would just sit on the flight, you know, with my little yellow legal pad and, and, and write notes and, and fill things out and then type things up. And I ended up with a manuscript that got a, uh, picked up by YMAA Publications. I signed a four book deal with them. I just released book three and I'm finishing up now the first draft of uh, book four. Awesome. Nice. Doesn't sound at all familiar, James, right? No, <laughs> not at all. I'll tell you, you have, you have three kids. We were talking about this before the broadcast. Yeah. You have three kids and, and your youngest is just older than my oldest. Uh, but you know, I have, I have a, a 21 year old, an 18 year old, a 16 year old and a, and a 10 year old. And so I pass, pass along. I think one of the kids still has the, I bought a copy of the spotting danger before it spots you. And I, I immediately took it to one specific child that shall remain nameless. <laughs> if, they're, if they're listening to this, this can broadcast. I guess? Can I no, guess or am I not no. allowed? Okay. <laughs> if they're listening to this broadcast, but it, I showed them the book and it was, it's always funny because I talked to them about who, who we have coming on the broadcast and, and that sort of thing, who I get to meet and talk to. And so they're, they're like, Oh wow, that's really cool. He was a, he was an air marshal. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. but um, <clears throat> when I handed, I handed one of them the book and it's, it's still out there somewhere. It, it did actually, they did read it and go through. Yeah. And I, I love the fact that you have uh, one for, for each, or you're bringing out one for each age group, because when I was going through the teen one, I was really drawn in. I, I think you're, I think it was the, the prelude, the story where you were talking about your daughter yeah. uh, driving that really got my attention because I'm a, obviously I'm a dad and I'm like, I'm, I'm reading the story and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I hope this has a good, a good ending. Like my, right. my brain's going there. I'm like, okay, Gary's talking about this story. Was this a real story? How did this, you know? Yeah. So <clears throat> I think it was a, I think it was an awesome example, an awesome way to really draw people in and, and start, you know, with, with, Hey, this is important. And this is stuff that happens, whether, you know, whether you're out in the country, whether you're in the city, it doesn't matter what, what matters is that you're using the skills and you're, you're developing the skills to pay attention and be more, be more alert and aware of what's going on. Yeah. You know, all of my kids, all of my kids have been in situations where 
you know, they, they, they've been in a predicament where they needed that situational awareness to, to one, identify a threat and then to have some sort of a plan to escape it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I write about that in the books, uh, you know, my son, both of my daughters have experienced things like that. Uh, two of my kids, when they were in elementary school, I may have told the story the first time I was on, somebody tried to take them out of school. Uh, mm-hmm. That wasn't, you know, me or my wife. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know if it's because of the nature of the work that I've done in my life or the job that I had, you know, at the time, but, you know, we've been targeted for things before. And sure, you know, it doesn't matter to me who the threat was. It just matters to me that I give my family the tools they need to detect those things and then the, the skills that they need to to get themselves out of it, preferably through complete avoidance, because that's sure. the best way to keep yourself safe 100 percent of the time. That's why the situational awareness thing is so important to me. For sure. Mike, did you want to jump in and add anything? Yeah, I, I jump in. I, mean, I think there's a there's so much there, and I enjoyed the book. Thank you for the uh, the early copy. It was great. Um, I think there's so much about it where I like taking what I what I learn either through volunteer with my police department or serving at church, and how much there I try to say, look, all this bleeds into my home life. I don't just shut off situational awareness when I'm not serving. Um, right. I mean, when I'm wearing a uniform and I'm on a patrol. I mapped up because you know what? You don't know where the threat's coming from. There, there could yeah. be a threat just because I'm in a patrol car. And at the same point, because you're standing post at, at a church, you don't know when it's your day. You don't know when somebody's going to show up. It could have been this morning. I mean, those sorts of things. So there's always that heightened level, but that translates to uh, reading your environment, reading and, and being, rec- I think you talk about it, uh, recognizing your own intuition. And making sure you're picking yeah. up on the, the the hairs on the back of your neck when right. something doesn't feel right that you talked about a little bit in there. But go ahead and expand on that. Yeah, well, OK, so like the situational awareness thing, I break it down into like the nuts and bolts piece in the first book. Like this is what situational awareness is. This is how it works. The second book, you know, it's for parents that have younger children. So you can talk to them about how to be more in tune with their environment and pick up on little things that could pose a danger to them because you're never going to set a seven-year-old down and say, Hey, let's talk about situational awareness and get any kind of buy-in, you know? So you have to do that with younger children through little games and conversations. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, you know, the team book, that's where things became pretty relevant and important to me because uh, you know, it's, they, they're the most targeted segment of the American population, specifically teen girls And given the things I was talking about with, uh, you know, my children and the things that have happened to them in the past, it was important for me to be able to get that information across in a way that they would understand. One of the easiest things that somebody can do to tune into their environment and start being situationally aware is that intuition piece that you just mentioned. And it's something that's hardwired into us naturally. Now, that being said, you we're the only animals on the planet that will look something dangerous right in the face and try to rationalize its presence. Yep. You know, you know, zebras don't do that when they see a line, they don't be like, hey, he's probably just getting a drink of water. I should be fine. You know what <laughs> I mean? They, yep. they get out of there. That's what they do. And, yeah. and that's what you have to try to teach your children that when something doesn't feel right, that's for a reason. Your mind is picking up these little signals, whether you're aware of it or not. It's, it's kind of circumventing that rational thought process that you tend to go through and it's telling you that something is wrong right now. 
So learning to, to identify that and listen to it is very important, especially for teenagers. It's the easiest thing they can do aside from getting their head out of their cell phones and just paying attention. Exactly. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's, that's an important piece of the puzzle. So, you know, I touch on that in every book that I write that intuition piece, yep. because I'm not going to assume that somebody that picks up the book for teens has read the first book and sure. I want them to have the information that's most relevant to them and the safety of their family. So I always include that. And you hit on something there is they, they have to pick up on not only the intuition there, but there's a there there's a, a plague almost of you have to get out of your own bias. You have to get out of your own almost uh, intentional intentional blindness is you, you yeah. build that kind of talk yourself out of it syndrome. Uh, yeah. Oh, the fire alarm's not going off. It's probably just a drill or that right. didn't just happen. You literally get away and it, before you realize it and then all of a sudden you you lost your moment and opportunity for escape because the best right. day there the best fight there is is the one you're not in i think what exactly. is it uh is it karate kid uh no no be there yeah no uh, be there <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely I think the I think the the crazy thing too is it's it's interesting this this topic we're on our way home from church today and this topic came up and my um, one of my middle daughters is driving to a, a place in in downtown Columbus we live on the the outside more uh, rural area and uh, she had to drive somewhere she had never been and uh, it was actually down off, uh, off campus, which is where Ohio state is and, yeah. and not a real great neighborhood, not a real great area and really confusing. Like the driving a lot of one way streets. It's just, yeah. it's unless you know where you're going now I've driven down there quite a few times. I used to work in that area, so I'm okay with it. But she asked me, she was like, you know, dad, do you know where this area of, of Columbus is? And I said, yeah, I do. Why, why do you need to go there? Right. <laughs> and cause it's not a great neighborhood. And she's like, well, you know, my store manager asked me if I could drive down there and pick up some supplies for, for the local store. And I said, is there an alternative? And she's like, well, the alternative was, he said, if I was willing to come in early, he would go do it. And I said, okay, let's, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's, let's go in early. You have the time they'll pay you, you know, it's, there's no problem. I said, I have no issue with you driving somewhere you've never been. Cause she's, she's sharp with GPS and stuff. But I said, you know, if you, if you make a couple of wrong turns, which is easy to do, you can, can find yourself in an area that's not friendly. Right. And I said, you know, I just, just as soon, if you can avoid it, avoid it. Right. Why do you need to go down there anyway? You know, you have the opportunity to. So, and, and she was pretty cool with it. She's a, she's a good, she's a good kid. I think, honestly, I think most kids, even, even when we talk about teens and obviously there's a big segment of teens that go to church with youth groups and stuff like that. But <clears throat> I think most kids are, uh, are good kids it's just sure. the the naiveness of and and the unawareness and just not having the life experience of right. you know being focused on the on your phone or yeah. or whatnot. It's cool. just an easy distraction. Yeah, and you, and you handle that you know perfectly because you know if you would have let her go down there, that's kind of a recipe for disaster for a couple of reasons. One, she you know she's unfamiliar with the area. She's going to be focused on her phone and her GPS and trying to get her where she needs to be which sure. is going to detract her from 
you know, or distract her from her surroundings, which is what she needs to be focused on if it's not that great of a neighborhood. And, you know, people talk a lot about multitasking, but I've always been a firm believer in the fact that multitasking is, is a fallacy. We can't do, we can't do two things at 100%. Well, we we just can't do it. We're not built that way. Now we can do two things equally poorly. You know, that's, that's (laughs) multitasking. We're doing equally poorly, but you know, we're not giving any one thing, 100% of our attention which when you're out in a place that may be a little bit seedy or you don't know the area like the back of your hand, then that's, you know, drawing your attention away from that. So for sure. Glad to hear that that worked out the way it did. Yeah, we went, we actually went there. We had to run and pick up some, some college books. I think it was a year or two ago. And I, I reminded her of that. I said, Hey, you remember when we, we drove downtown to, I think it was an Amazon Depot to pick up some stuff. And she's like, yeah, that was just crazy chaos, which it was. <laughs> and uh, of course there was a game, there was a Ohio state game going on. Oh, so, so, you man, know, yeah. I'm familiar was... with that area We lived in Ohio <laughs> for about five years, six years. Okay. That's right. I, that's yeah. So, I mean, people were just being crazy anyway, but then, you know, she was like, Oh, that was the area. And I said, yeah, it's the restaurant. The one you want is, you know, two blocks over from that. And she's like, Oh yeah, no. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for teens because they're in the most tumultuous period they can possibly be in. You know, like when you're, when you're younger, you've got your, you know, your parents looking out for you and you know that that's your security blanket that you can count on them to be there and protect you. But as a teenager, you've got a lot of friends, you know, you got a lot of people in that age group out there doing some really questionable things and making really mm-hmm. poor decisions. And they're stuck in the middle of that. And there's, they start to become torn between, you know, that parental oversight that they enjoyed as a child and then breaking away and developing their own identity, that parental oversight starts to feel a little bit more like tyranny. So they try to break away from that. And it's a really tough spot for them to be in as they try to figure themselves out. And then, you know, like you're talking about Ohio State and the football games and all that stuff. When you start adding that group mentality into it and then maybe yeah. you throw a little alcohol in there and the bad decisions really start flowing, it's hard to tell what you could find yourself in the middle of. And, I, you know, I've always told my my teens or my kids when they were teens that, you know, I understand I understand the things, whether you believe it or not, I've been there and I understand some of the things you're going to be dealing with. And I understand that situations that teens can get themselves into tend to escalate beyond their control. So you may think that you're going to an after party at a football game or, you know, a friend's house for a sleepover, but things tend to escalate pretty quickly with teens and they can become uncomfortable. They can become downright dangerous. So you have to make sure that you talk to your teens before you turn them loose and stuff like that and give them a plan to get themselves out of that. Or if they need to, you know, there's a lot of communication that goes on there, but you got to talk to them and let them know, Hey, I understand you're trying to fill things out and figure out who you are and what your place is in the world. But if at any point you feel like you're in danger or something makes you uncomfortable, you can reach out to me, you know, maybe, you know, you figure out a little, Hey dad, I'm not feeling so good or something like that. I don't care what the excuse is. I will come pull you out of that situation. So, you know, sure. around stuff like that, like, you know, the, the, you know, the football games and the parties and stuff like that, those little, you know, you gotta, you gotta stay involved, but you can't be overbearing about it. So. 
one of the things I'll, I'll mention this real quick and then we'll jump to jump to break. But one of the things that I've mentioned and we've, we've had with all of our kids growing up is we um, we've commented on that, that concept every time they go out like to a party, to a friend's house, something like that. And one of the things we've mentioned is we've said, you know, if, if at any point you ever feel uncomfortable, just say, you know what, my parents said, I need to leave at this time. Pleasant, you know, pleasant excuse, pleasant reasoning for, for the host and then call us and just say what exactly what you said, like, Hey, I'm not really feeling good. Could you come pick me up? Could you, you, and, and that's to us, we're, you know, that's, I mean, we've said that for years, which, which tells us that, okay, something's not right here. Um, one of the, I mean, one of the other things that we've done is we, we have a rule that, uh, no one is allowed to go to someone else's house without my wife or I meeting their, their parents first. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the rules I mentioned in the book. (laughs) So, so for us, it's like, okay, if you want to go over there, let me call them. Let me talk to them. That's, you know, that's acceptable, but I'd also like to meet him, you know, face to face and be able to, to to do a, to do a character assessment. (laughs) And so they know me, I mean, they, you know, get to, get to know who I am. You too. Yeah, sure. And and there's a bit of negotiation that goes on there. I learned with my teens, you know, like my daughters, I don't know why, but like sleepovers were a big thing. You know, when my teenagers, they were always, I would either wake up and have eight girls, you know, scattered (laughs) around the house or mom would be gone and they're having a sleepover somewhere. But, you know, they would always say, well, I'm going over to so-and-so's dad, she's a good kid or he's a good kid. I'm like, well, you know, it's not what you kid think I'm worried about. A good kid <laughs> and what I think is a good kid are right. obviously two different things. <laughs> so, you know, but, uh, you know, and they get that from somewhere and more than likely it's their environment. So I want to be, sure. I want to make sure that I meet the parents. The one thing that I found was most beneficial to us was all of my kids. I tried to keep them active and involved in sports or band or some type of activity like that. And that's a fantastic opportunity for them to meet like-minded kids, sure. form those relationships and bonds with each other. And it's also a great opportunity for parents to meet and discuss things away from, you know, their children's out on the field, right. you know, doing whatever they're doing. And you can step back there and talk and, and, and communicate and get to know each other and understand what each other's about. But, you know, they it's, also, a, it, it's they, a process. And, yeah, it, they're establishing kind of a uh, their own relationships, their understanding right. of normal. They're creating right. a mental baseline for themselves so that later, from a situational standpoint, you it's the deviation from normal that should make it stand out to you. So they're right. building that baseline because they don't have that life experience yet. They're right. trying to understand what is norm versus what is extreme. And so by by putting them in those environments that is a good baseline, perhaps create that contrast that they need to, to notice when something's not normal. Exactly. And they have to understand that that baseline is always shifting. It's always moving depending on the environment. So what may be normal, you know, you and your friends, you understand how your friends act, you understand, you know, what they're like and how they speak and all these different things. But then you put that person in a different environment and their actions may change. 
you know, so or around a different group of people, their actions may change or the way they treat you may change. So you have to, sure. you know, it's, it's a process and it's difficult for teens to figure out. It's difficult, difficult for adults to figure out, you know, why is right. this person treating me this way when they're around that person, but not any other time? You know what I mean? So yep. figuring out those baselines really goes a long way in helping you, like you said, Mike, establish what's normal so that you can more easily identify those what we call baseline anomalies, the things mm -hmm. that stick out as something that's abnormal, especially the ones that can indicate danger to your safety. Right. For sure. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, we're going to take a quick sponsor break. And then when we come back, we'll jump back into it. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> All right. With over 50 years of experience with religious and nonprofit organizations, Thomas Alexander Insurance and Associates understands that your congregation is different from a traditional business. We're here to fulfill your needs, coming to you while creating a personal plan for your budget and size. From your local community to around the globe, we are advocates for you. Thomas Alexander Insurance and Associates, your partner in service. Church Security Essentials, Church Safety and Security Conference, covering topics like security team operations, ministry life cycle, disruptions, warrior mindset, ministry tools, and more. With featured speakers, Dave Boone Benton, special teams expert, hero of Benghazi, military, and SWAT. Dr. James McGarvey, Church Safety Guys author, speaker, coach, and trainer. Mike Scully, Church Safety Guys author, speaker, coach, and trainer. Jason White, author, pastor, former U.S. Marshal, SWAT instructor. Dwayne Harris, ordained bishop, Full Armor Church, Crisis Intervention, and SWAT. Ron Aguilar, Oasis Safety, retired LEO and Church Security Director. May 14th in Orlando, Florida, East Coast Believers Church. Limited seating, $59 general admission from 8 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Eight great sessions, vendor tables, door prizes, and raffle. Networking, resources, discounts, and more. Sponsored by Vertex, U.S. Law Shield, Two-Way Radio Center, the Christian Chamber of Central Florida, Crossbreed Holsters, and the Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention. For more information, visit churchsafetyconference.com. At Centurion Bible College, we're authentic about relationships, we're passionate on training, we're unapologetically biblical. And as the first college in the United States to design an associate's program in church safety and security, we're innovative. Explore Centurion Bible College and you'll find the tools to be better prepared to support your community and the mission of your church, the culture to help you engage with the people you serve with, and the environment to foster learning and leadership. Discover Centurion Bible College today. Enhance and develop the skills to engage and connect with your community when they need you the most. Be intentional in your community with a ministry mindset, understand concepts of safety and security, and make a difference today. For more information or to enroll, visit centurionbc.org or churchsafetyguys.com.
the church safety guys help church and place of worship safety and security teams all over North America through our broadcasts, online communities, conferences, trainings, resources, and the all-new church security app. Download it today. Help us continue to reach churches by supporting our sponsors, purchasing our resources, and consider becoming a ministry partner by making a monthly or one-time donation. Remember to like, subscribe, and share this broadcast with your team. And now, back to the broadcast. All right, and we're back. And this broadcast, we're talking to Gary Quisenberry. And Gary is the author of Spotting Danger Before It Spots Your Teens. And that is one of the books in the series on situational awareness. So uh, he graciously sent us a copy to preview and then uh, joined us. So thank you again, Gary, for for hanging out with us tonight. And we really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you guys having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. So we want to jump in. I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Mike, because I know you had some some questions and thoughts you wanted to go down. <laughs> yeah, well, I want them to pick up on a, on a big piece that's there, there in the book. And I, I think you call it, I always refer to it as pre-incident, indi- or you I think you said pre-incident indicators. Right. I use pre-event indicators as, as the phrase, but why don't you help uh, unpack that a little bit more for our audience? Okay, so, you know, when somebody is planning something, uh, you know, nefarious, somebody that's coming from a predatory mindset and they're looking to attack or take advantage of someone else, they'll often give themselves away through their actions. And that's what situational awareness is all about, is being able to pick up on those actions, the ones that I call pre-incident indicators, and and kind of decipher what they mean and how they relate to your safety. So pre-incident indicators are things that are fairly universal. It doesn't matter what age the person is you know, what ethnicity or background, uh, you know, any of that. And they can be physical or they can be physiological. So the physical ones are uh, one, of the, one of the most common ones and people can kind of relate to it, I guess, especially somebody from a law enforcement background is visible hands, right? Like if someone's hiding their hands, they could be hiding their intention to hurt you because the hands are what can kill you, right? So, you know, always look, I always tell people when you're doing like your initial scan, when you walk into an area, that's what you're looking at. You know, one, you're trying to read that baseline, you know, get that intuitive feeling about is the place you get a good feeling, a bad feeling, but then you're looking at people's hands and, you know, people who have hidden hands could be hiding their intentions. Another one is someone who, uh, you know, they, they don't want to take no for an answer. If, if they offer to help and you say, no, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm good on my own, but they keep insisting. Then, you know, a failure to take take no for an answer is a pre-incident indicator. Uh, trying to put you or maneuver you into a position of disadvantage, like trying to cut you off from an exit or put their body in between you and a safe escape. That's a pre-incident indicator. Uh, you know, inappropriate clothing. If somebody's at the beach, but they're wearing a big parka, you know, that that's another one. Now, those are all examples of physical examples of pre-incident indicators. The physiological stuff may be a little harder to detect because you have to be kind of close to the person to see this. Uh, One of the ones you can spot from a distance would be like fidgety behavior, pacing, things like that. Uh, Sweating. But then like excessive sweating, dilation. (laughs) These are all things that happen to people when they're under stress. And when you're planning, unless you're a complete sociopath, which they're out there, 
you know, that planning stage kind of amps you up. You're kind of gearing up for this attack. Anticipatory, and in, that, yep. and in that process, your body goes through these chemical changes and, and they're being flooded with adrenaline because they're amping themselves up and they start displaying these physical and physiological pre-incident indicators. And in the book, I outline those so that it gives you kind of a guide as to what you should be looking for in what situations and what those indicators mean. And uh, and what you can do about it. Yeah, sure. Great. One of the one of the things you do talk about, and we occasionally talk about it on the show, is the is the OODA loop. And yeah. I know Mike was was talking about it earlier with his or connecting to it with his color <laughs> color <laughs> color comments for from earlier his experience earlier today. But can you can you go down that a little bit and and explain explain how that plays into it for our folks? Right. So, you know, there's there's a there, there's a few things that tie together to, mm -hmm. to kind of wrap this whole process up. And, you know, you've got different levels of awareness. The, they call them the Cooper's colors. Jeff Cooper came up with this retired uh, Marine Corps colonel. And and what that is, is it indicates what level of awareness you should be at, depending on the situation. Ideally, you want to be in what we call condition yellow. It's it's a relaxed state of awareness. So you're not being hyper vigilant and stressing yourself out to the point that you're exhausted, you know, or you're just, you know, you're getting to the point where it's kind of information overload because you're taking in so much. So by being able to understand baseline behaviors and identify those baseline anomalies, you can keep yourself at that lower level of awareness. So you're not constantly amping yourself up. Now, once you spot something that you perceive to be a threat, something that rises above that baseline and draws your attention, it triggers what we call the OODA loop, right? And the OODA loop is just a thought process. And it stands for, it's an acronym that stands for observe, orient, decide, and act. And everybody goes through this process. I, I taught a class yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, locally here. And uh, we talked about that. And like, Mothers do this all the time. I see my wife do it almost every day with my nephew when she's babysitting, right? So you got a, a glass of water or milk or something sitting on the edge of a table, a one-year-old toddler running over towards it, right? And that triggers the OODA loop, all right? I observed a glass and a toddler, right? And, and I see them moving together. So I've oriented myself to the problems that could occur. Now I have to make a decision, right? The decide part, you either stop the child or you move the glass and then you act, right? That's, that's the OODA loop process in a nutshell. And we go through that all the time. And typically that process will take about a second and a half. It can be a little bit, you know, slower if something happens that's incredibly unexpected. But the more you, you, uh, you know, you institute that situational awareness, the more time you give yourself to react and plan for things, mm -hmm. then the more you decrease that OODA loop. And that's the key is to get that OODA loop process down to just a split second so that you see something and you know exactly how to react to it and what the effect of that will be. Now, that being said, you know, predatory criminals go through the same process, that OODA loop process. And when they approach you, they have this plan in their head as to how this is going to go. And if you can do something to disrupt their OODA loop and you throw kind of a monkey wrench in their plans, that upsets their process and starts them all over, which can give you maybe a little bit of time to escape if you need to. So, so you know, learning that OODA loop 
what it means, how it works, and how you can use it against someone who's willing to attack you, you know, that goes a long way in helping you keep yourself safe. For sure. Uh, Mike, did you want to add anything or? Um, well, I, it, uh, I'll bring it back to the story I opened the show with is, is that was right there. We were trying, to, I was trying to get them out of orange and get them back to yellow because they were going to be too amped up, amped up, build up that blindness and not actually see um, or, or focal awareness, if you will, because they were going to be so dialed in to this right. one guy that they're looking for that one guy and they miss the other person that walks through the front door. Yeah. And, and so it was that sort of overall, you want to, but uh, spatially and wide aware, not focal aware. And I think that was a big piece in that continual observation, but we see it all the time. You hear something, you hear a noise in the corner. You observe, you, you didn't observe it, but you heard it, you picked up. Right. Now you're going to orient. You typically turn your body towards where you thought you heard it from. So now you're orienting to what that is. Now, the combination of that may give you enough context to now say, oh, something broke, a door just opened, uh, whatever it might be, non-threat or threat. So now you're going to either respond accordingly or never mind. That it's, it's no big deal. It was just, I don't know, a package being delivered or whatever it might be. Uh, that those sorts of things. So that was that was just right. something how I saw that playing out today. <laughs> right. Well, you know, when you were I wasn't on, I don't think whenever uh, whenever you were going over that, but I was listening and I was sitting here and I was making a bunch of notes when you were telling that story, <laughs> because, you know, you talk about your guys and you, you actually use the word at one point uh, panic. There's almost a panic about it. Right. Yep. And you just mentioned, uh, you know, don't be so hyper vigilant and focused on this that you let something else slip by. And that's what we used to have to teach in the Federal Air Marshal Service, you know, because right after 9-11, everybody had this image in their head of what the mm -hmm. bad guy, the bad guy, so to speak, looked yeah. like, you know, and they all look like Mohammed Atta, you know, the, 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 the ringleader on that whole thing. Sure. And, and uh, you know, I used to tell people all the time, don't be so hyper vigilant and so biased as to what you think a bad guy looks like that you're on the lookout for the next Osama bin Laden and you let 10 Timothy McVeigh's walk on the plane, right? Like sure. you, know, you have to, you have to just judge the situation for what it is, read that baseline. And it doesn't matter what the person looks like or what, you know, what you think the concept of the bad guy is, right? The people that rise above that baseline are the ones that should be drawing your attention. It's so, a behavior shift. Exactly. It, and it's not, not the other thing. You're not looking for this person or that person. What you're looking for are those pre-incident indicators that we just talked about. Right. Right. So, but as far as that panic piece goes, you know, uh, this is something that I've been touching on a lot lately because I just told you a little while ago, I did a, a podcast with Tony Blower. He's got a podcast called the no fear podcast, K N O W fear, you know, because you need to understand it, what it is and what it does to you. And I tell people all the time when I give these little presentations that there's a big difference between fear and panic, right? So mm -hmm. fear is natural. It's something that we all have, you know, and it's something that we learn to work through. But panic is a trap, right? And unfortunately, it's a trap that you set for yourself. Yep. And you set it through, you know, through personal biases, you set it with indecision, you set it with a lack of training or a lack of dedication to your to your mission at hand, right? So by by exposing your your team to these little bits and pieces of fear and educating them on what that is, what it feels like and how they can work through it. You're helping them to avoid that panic piece. 
you know, so luckily I'm glad to hear, you know, there was nothing, you know, really bad that happened, you know, with the situation at your church, but you know, it's good that those guys feel that. And it's important right. that they have someone like you there to walk them through it and say, Hey, listen, this is what you're feeling. And this is why, right. But this is what we need to avoid. And we need to right. stay focused in this lane so that we can, you know, stop something else from happening. Exactly. So, you know, it's a, the, the more you inoculate yourself to that, that fear inoculation piece, the mm -hmm. better you can perform under those conditions. Right. Yeah. For I try sure. to teach them that, you know what, I'm not going to be there every Sunday. This, right. uh, this was obviously a, a, um, a number of things that all kind of came together and escalated to a certain point that said, you know what, Hey, the, this is the highest level of risk that has been noticed by this team in a, a long period of time. And so as right. a result, but again, it was, it wasn't about the idea of, I have to go stand post. It was, I need to go support the people. I need right. to engage that team because those people need support not because I need to protect the, or, or stop a person, but because the team needs mental support during right. that, it, during the potential incident. Yeah. And it's no different, you know, the situation that you were in where you're kind of like the figurehead of that team and that team is experiencing something that they haven't been through before. So you kind of got to walk them through those feelings, what it is they're dealing with and how to work around it to keep, to keep the congregation safe. Right. Exactly. That's no different than a parent raising a child. You know, they're going to experience things that scare them and they're going to experience things that may be dangerous. But it's up to us as parents to kind of walk them through that, to let them have those experiences. Right. We don't want to try to shield them from every little thing, because if you try to just shield them from all of it, they're going to seek those experiences when you're not there to help them. And that's where right. things Absolutely. get dicey, you know, so that leadership piece is incredibly important, whether it's, you know, you're the, you know, the leader of a congregation, you're the head of the security team, or you're a parent of a 12 year old, you know, it's all equally important. You hit on something that just triggered a memory um, that uh, one of the things in the book was uh, talking about the sneak attack um, and kind of, yeah. kind of shocking <laughs> the system so that you kind of prepare, go ahead and yeah. tell a little bit about that. Okay. So, so one, one funny thing. Sure. Now I don't know that if this was in the copy that, uh, that you received, but I, you know, I've got the hard copy here that came out on April the 1st. Right. And there's all these testimonials and reviews and stuff in the beginning of it. Well, there's a company called Kirkus and they do reviews on, you know, all kinds of different books. Sure. And they were afraid that some readers may, and I had them keep this in here. I didn't want that cut out, but some readers <laughs> may take issue Right. With the aggressive parenting techniques <laughs> that I use when, when I talk about the sneak attack game. Right. So. So what that was, was, you know, my, my oldest daughter, I love her to death. You know, she's such a good girl. She's my Air Force girl. Right. She's out in Colorado right now. And she was the social butterfly. Like she was constantly had to be in the loop. She's constantly on the cell phone, you know, just keeping up with everybody and seeing what's going on. But. You know, and I would catch her doing that sometimes when we were out in public and it would always bother me, like at the mall and stuff like that. Now, if, if I was there with them, I would always try to give them the space that they needed to be cool. And I could sure allow on things. Right. But if we were at home and I caught her doing that, you know, I told her, I'm like, that's conditioned white. Like you cannot walk around in conditioned white because you're doing all these different things. One of the things that predators look for is observable value. Right. Something that they yeah, can take right. from you that's worth money. And, and the cell phone is that. So if you're not paying attention to your surroundings and you're just zoned in, focus locked on that on that cell phone, somebody could take it from you. 
So we started doing that at home. And if I walked into a room, it was just assumed that I was the bad guy, right? <laughs> if I caught her on her phone and she didn't see me walk in, I would snatch her phone away from it, throw it in my pocket, pitch her on the ground and tickle her till she started screaming, right? And uh, I'd be like, who was in condition white? Said, I was dad. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. <laughs> but, you know, it got to the point where I started doing that with my kids and they learned that, you know, okay, they would pick up on it immediately. They would sense yep. that some, some, something, you know, me, I was in the room and if they were in condition white, things could go bad. Right. So they, yep. they learned that. And then I tried to translate that into, you know, I, I'm your dad. I love you. I'm never going to hurt you. Right. But mm -hmm. There are people out there who would see that very same thing that I see. You focus locked on that cell phone and they will take advantage of that to actually inflict physical pain on you and take the things that belong to you. And the only reason I do the things I do with my children is to try to prepare them for that and to, to, to give them some sort of a, a fallback, some sort of a baseline, you know, right on, on what could happen so that they can be more aware of the situation when they're doing it and work themselves out of it. That's great. Yeah, it, it definitely I is. It. <laughs> I, uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of sad we're out of time, but at the same time, um, uh, I definitely, we definitely appreciate you sending us a, a copy of the book and, and yeah, looking no through it, you know, if you, um, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, there's some fantastic stuff in it, honestly. Um, if you're from a, from a church application standpoint, maybe you work with, uh, work with youth groups or you're part of, of that, uh, for your, your church ministry, that this is a great resource, um, to, to have in your office, to be able to give out, to pass out. Um, I can't, honestly, I can't recommend it enough. I've never seen, I've never seen something written so well specifically for that age and, you know, I kind of wish, honestly, um, my dad was always a big growing up. My dad was always a big, keep your head on the swivel kind of right. guy, you yeah. know, and, and, um, there, there was nothing like this out there, right? This, this is, there was nothing to say, okay, here's how you talk to your kid about, you know, communication, about accountability, about finding that balance. And, um, so you've got some great topics uh, that you go through in the book and uh, it's definitely, it's definitely worth, um, worth, worth picking up a copy and, and reading through. So, well, I uh, like the third one so well that I want to go back and pick up the first one because oh, I yeah. didn't read the first, <laughs> but I like the third enough without having teenagers yeah. that, you know, I want to go back and get the first one. So it's, yeah, it's so great. So just to real briefly tell you guys kind of how this, you know, this whole system's working and, you know, the way I got yeah. it set up is, is this first book, you know, the, the spotting danger before it spots you. This is the nuts and bolts of situational awareness, what it is, what it isn't. I do my best to kind of keep it in layman's terms. I don't use a lot of military or law enforcement jargon. And, and I try to put it out in a way that's, that's easy to digest. You know, there's practical exercises, there's self-assessments, there's all these different things that you can do to make yourself safer. And it's so simple, right? It's a big piece of that self-defense puzzle and it's all in here. Now, the second one was for parents with younger kids, spotting danger before it spots your kids. Yeah. And that's, you know, for parents to teach their children how to be a little more engaged with their environment. And then, like we said, you know, the third one is for teens. Now the fourth one, the one I'm working on now is spotting danger, spotting danger for travelers. 
And it's going to be for people that go on business trips, you go on a family vacation or whatever. And, you know, it's uh, and I think with those four books, that's going to wrap up what I call my heads up series. And, uh, you know, with those four books, I think I got a pretty well-rounded system there for, you know, for individuals, for families, for people who travel for work or for pleasure, whether you're by yourself or with your kids. And, you know, the, my, my goal in this whole thing is just to give people simple tools because not everybody's going to go to self-defense classes. Not everybody's going to carry a gun, you know, but sure. this is something that everybody can do at any any level, at any stage in their life and keep themselves safer than they were before they picked that book up. For sure. And where if somebody was interested in in picking those up or picking up a copy, where would they uh, mm-hmm. where would they do that? Okay, well, I've got my website, which is GaryQuestonberry.com, and that's kind of the hub for everything. Sure. There's links to all the books. You can buy the books anywhere books are sold. You can get them on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, independent booksellers. Uh, uh, awesome. th- we're pretty, pretty excited because now uh, these are being released in hardcover as well as paperback. They're also being released in uh, in the ebooks. They're already all out on the ebook, so you can get them on your Kindle if you you know prefer those. Sure. And by the end of the month, they'll all three, the current books will all three be out on audiobook as well. Awesome. So, you know, if you choose That's to you know, cool. just listen to it on the computer <laughs> or whatever, you can. So, you know, we're pretty excited about it. I figure the more ways I can get this information out to people, then the better off it'll be. So, it's, uh, yeah, I love, I love uh, listening to audiobooks. That's, I, yeah. when I drive a lot, I listen to, I listen yeah, well, to stuff. So I'll give you a heads up. Like I read it myself. So if anybody's out there listening and the accent's a little too much, you might, you might want to pick up. <laughs> well, you know, we did the same, we did the same thing. We, we, because we had so many folks reach out to us and say, you know, they, they had driving o- occupations and they wanted to yeah. read uh, some of the stuff that Mike and I have put together and uh, so we did like we, I worked with audible to, to create um, and go through that process. And yeah. it's funny. Cause that's, I involve my, my family with that. I'm like, okay, you pick a voice, which voice do you like better? Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of times they're like the one I'm thinking, this is, you know, this is it, this is a golden. And they're like, no dad, don't yeah. stop. <laughs> I only have the one voice, you know what I mean? So if, if, if you don't mind it, then so be it. Listen to the book. If, if it you, then read it. <laughs> well, we have to, we definitely have to wrap up, but thank you okay. again so much for, for joining us tonight and, and hanging out. And uh, we, we really appreciate it. Look forward to the, definitely look forward to the last, last one coming out, the travelers. Cause I think, I think that's an awesome addition. And, and I definitely think that's something that's needed. People need to be able to understand. Yeah. Understand. That was actually, that was actually going to be the first book in the series, but as I started writing it, COVID hit and travel got shut down. So my publisher was like, Hey, we might want to rethink this. We put it in the back of the list, you know, but uh, yeah, I'm excited about that one because that one is kind of what I did as a federal air marshal was travel the world. You know, I'm in a lot of really sketchy places, unfamiliar territory and, you got to be able to work yourself through that. So that's what that one's all for. For sure. All right. Well, we will wrap up and uh, next, next week is actually Easter. So we won't have a, a live broadcast, but we'll be back the, the following week and uh, have some more great content. So until then, we hope you, you all listening have a great Easter 
and uh, a great holiday. And we will talk to you soon. So take care. God bless. Have a, a great week. All right. Thanks, guys. for joining the church safety and security broadcast with the church safety guys sponsored by checker we hope that you found it informative and we appreciate your feedback be sure to share our broadcast with your teams join the discussion online and for other great resources download the church security app or visit our website at churchsafetyguys.com remember keep a servant's heart mindset of ministry and semper disciplina always be training have a blessed week